0: Okay, I think it's recorded. Uh, so um, the other announcements that I wanted to mention is, please pray for Uh Gwayne uh, is having his scans. scans. What kind of scans? I CT? Or MRI. I, yeah, maybe both. I don't know. It's hard. He's got a lot of things going on, but this week, and I don't remember exactly what day, but he's having his, his scans, which will kind of give them a little bit better understanding of the prognosis that he's facing. what to deal with and how to treat him So be in prayer for that that it goes well everything that they get scan wise all the information they get would be something that they could utilize to take care of Wayne. um how you doing bud you're healing up okay
1: Yeah. keep keep praying for bud i'm good to go
0: good to do i'm glad to hear it and um and be in prayer for um uh the the balkans uh, especially sharon and you got any update on sharon
1: they just can't, they've been um, told by her doctors to seclude again, to isolate, I guess that's the word, because of the Delta variant, and um, so they just, they they came to class for a couple weeks, and they were
0: they thought, really excited they were that they so were coming fine. back, and
1: then now her doctor's saying again that it's not a good idea, so... Yeah, so.
0: For COVID or something? No.
1: Um, so he had pancreatitis. Went into... Um, oh, wow. Went into Cass Regional on the 15th. Um, something happened with his potassium levels. Um, sent his heart into some crazy stuff. Um, he also has kidney disease. So his kidneys were on oh, a whack. whack um, basically in renal failure. Um, Got a lot going on. <laughs> a lot going on. How old is he? He's forty-one. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um,
0: yeah, it was it was quite an ordeal. My bad. Where does he live? Garden City. Garden City. Okay, so he's close. Yeah. I've had pancreatitis twice.
1: No, no, it's not. Um, And he was worried because he's like they they did something wrong. I was like maybe they didn't do anything wrong. Maybe your body just reacted.
0: Yeah. Everybody reacts differently to treatments, even if the treatments are supposed to help. Body, as as yeah. I know,
1: <laughs> and that it's renal failure goes along with the pancreatitis yeah. because your body, your pancreas, well, and he, he already has a the disease. So, yeah, um, yeah, he
0: was. So, what's his name? Jim. Oh, Jim? Jim? Jim, okay. Yeah. Make a note of that. There's a lot of Jim's
1: and about he also Bob was telling me that Tammy Henson, do you remember Tammy from the astronomy industry years ago? Gospel. I remember stories? the name. COVID, pneumonia, and a hole in her lung. She's got mm-hmm. three things going mm-hmm. on. Now who's that? She's a, she's somebody we used to go to that Tammy Henson, uh, her married name was Sanderson. She had two daughters and one son. Uh, and she was a member of KCBT mm-hmm. back when I first started uh, attending that. her husband Jonathan kind of took me in as it were. Uh, She went to Florida on the vacation No and could do her, that. her youngest daughter had messaged me to let me know what was going on with that and requested prayer. So. Okay. I'd pray. like prayer for our daughter-in-law, our daughter, and our son-in-law. They're moving back from Arizona, so they're they have to be here by the twentieth. I just like prayer that the move goes smooth because they're getting pods, and when they get here, they can
0: get the pods delivered, and they have no problems on the way. OK. Well, that's a that's a complicated thing. Um, OK. Um, I think there's, I think that's everything. Why do we look at this one, because it's stuff on here. Um, HBI registration is open. Classes start in a couple of weeks. So if anybody's interested that is eligible to be there, been through D1, been through D2. And um, even if you don't know that, that this is the right thing for you to do, but uh, you might be interested in taking a couple of the classes or A class. You don't have to take all four of them. You can take one at a time if you want, just to kind of you know, enter into this this trainings program at a toe at a time. So, um, so that's, I think that's the last thing on there um, that I wanted to mention. There's probably some other things that. Um, but that's all I can remember right now. Um, so we're going to turn over to Psalm chapter fifty-nine. We're going to read Psalm fifty-nine, and we'll pray, and then we'll jump into the lesson. And the lesson is in Second Corinthians. Uh, but uh, Andy, yes, sir.
1: Just real quick, we
0: want to thank
1: everybody for uh, prayers and cards for, for well, the
0: Yeah. How you doing? Is doing, doing, doing better. Okay. Yeah. Well. We love you guys. Anybody that goes through any kind of suffering like this—never fun, no matter what, even if it's anticipated—it's just hard. Um, so, what we're going to do, just for the uh, chat, Chad and Sarah, right? Uh, what we do in this class, anyway—I don't think anybody else does it—but I read a passage usually every more, every every time we meet. You know, when we get before we get into the lesson, and I read it, and then we use that for praying. As I call them the verses are our prayer points, and I start, and then I stop at it after I pray, and then I just give chance for anybody else that wants to pray, they pray out loud. They kind of use these verses as they want, or well, they don't have to, but um, whatever's in your heart to pray, just pray, and when you're done, stop, and then somebody else will take, take pick up. And then there's no requirement that anybody prays, and we're not trying to get everybody to pray, but this is. If I, you know, after if I pray and then nobody else comes in, I'll close and we'll just go on to the study. If somebody else prays and and then there's only one person, then I'll stop, I'll close after that person. So that's kind of how we've been doing it, uh, just so that we can all be in, in prayer together, uh, but we're not all praying at the same time, so to speak. Uh, so Psalm chapter fifty-nine, starting in verse one. We're going to read down through verse 9. Uh, David writes, Deliver me from mine enemies, o, o my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloody men. For lo, they lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgression nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me, and behold, Thou therefore, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, await to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any wicked transgressors, Selah. They, they return at evening, they make a noise like a dog, and go around about the city. Behold, they belch out their with their mouths. Swords are they swords are in their lips, for who they who say they doth hear. But thou, O Lord, how. Ha- Shalt laugh at them, thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. Because of his strength, will I wait upon thee? For God is my defence; the God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this passage that we're reading. Lord, we just remind us that you are our defender, you are our caretaker, you, you protect us against any kind of adversity that may come, be coming at us, Lord. Whatever that is, enemies or or other types of things lord we as we see in verse two lord deliver us from the workers of iniquity we do pray lord for a continual delivery we know that you delivered us that are saved you delivered us from uh, from eternal destruction and provided for us eternal life and so we pray for that lord thank you for doing that and lord i do pray that as our enemies run and they try to prepare themselves lord that you would take care of them that you would uh, that you would come in and and destroy them and uh, and wipe out of our, our our enemy which is a promise that you made father I want to pray for uh, Kathy's brother Jim but that everything he's going on with Lord I pray that you would heal him and um and, and just restore his health Lord I pray father for also for um, uh, Judy's brother or son-in-law Lord as they prepare to move that you would take care of those needs Lord and and uh, give them a clear path and protect them as they travel and all other their their belongings Father, we want to pray for um, the Balkans, and uh, Lord, I know that they want to be here, and uh, Lord, but they they are faithful to be um, to, to listen to their doctors, and their doctors advise not to be here. So, Lord, as much as they want to be here, they are also uh, listening to that to that advice, and so we pray, Father, for them. Uh, we pray for Sharon, Lord, especially as you just continue to help her and uh, hold her, Lord, and heal her. I'm going to pray also for the scan that uh, uh, Gwayne Arnie is going to be uh, faced with this week, Lord, that it also would go smooth. Uh, Lord, I know that those kind of scans can take a long time and they can be very uh, disheartening and, and difficult to deal with, especially if it's an MRI. I pray, Father, for his uh, comfort while he's laying there and that the results would be the results that you asked for. Father, I pray for the class. I pray for everybody in the real life class, Lord, that you would just continually uh, speak to our hearts, Lord. Open up our minds and our and our hearts, and give us the direction that you would have us to go, according to your will. And we just thank you and praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Father, I just.
1: Uh... Me and, and just to uh, give it all to you, all of you, Lord. Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning for my sister and condition in the hospital that she might reach someone with the the truth of your gospel. Again, Father, we're, we're thankful for her
0: Lord, if you con- conclude in prayer, we're thankful uh, for the opportunity to come before your throne and, and petition uh, the God of the universe, Lord. You already know what our prayers are. You already know what's going on in our lives. And, uh, but uh, we, we, we are um, humbled that you would allow us to come before you and, and uh, speak these things to you, Lord. We ask that you would just continue to work in our lives. Uh, we ask that you would answer prayer uh, at every turn. We ask, Father, that you would always show yourself mighty in our lives, that you would make yourself known to us. Lord, as I have uh, prayed many times myself, Lord, that you would help us to press into your hand, Lord, that we might know the comfort of being uh, held by you. We pray, Father, for all of those things. We pray for things that we didn't even remember this morning, Lord, that you would accomplish because you know everything that's going on. We just ask for you to be uh, glorified and that our lives would uh, please you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're at this morning. We're, starting, we're going to start that chapter. Um, and so by way of kind of getting things started, I just wanted to kind of paint a picture for you for just a moment because it kind of leads a little bit into what Paul is dealing with in this chapter. But as a missions pastor, uh, you probably can imagine that I, I often get, in fact, I do all, all the time get, Nicely assembled packets of information containing information from a missionary. Um, uh, the the missionary on deputation, so missionary is trying to go to the mission field someplace, wherever they're going. Uh, sometimes they just started last month on, depu- you know, trying to raise funds to get going. Sometimes they're at the, at the at the end of their effort and they're and they're just about ready to to go to the field and they just like I just need like one last church and if you guys would support us. You know, then we could hit the we could hit the the airport and get on the plane and go to the mission field. But I get these packets all the time, and it's on people who are in deputation. deputation. And what they're doing, deputation means they're just trying to raise money to support them and their family and the work. Um, and so uh, they seek an opportunity to demonstrate to me and to our church the valid reason that we should take them on as a supported missionary. They just want to communicate that. And so this packet of information comes. It used to come in the mail. Not so much anymore. It comes in email now. Um, it usually contains information about the missionary, uh, his background, where he where he learned, where he got saved, and uh, where he got trained, and where he's going, and all that. There's some uh, information about his family. Uh, it, uh, sometimes I get a missionary that's uh, single, but most times they're, they're usually a family. They've already got kids that they're raising. Uh, and so... Uh, it talks about his education, it talks about his background, talks about any kind of training that he's been, conferences that he's been to. Uh, and then there's usually a nice picture of him and his family, which is nice, so I can see what they look like. And um, and, and, uh, and it also includes a link to a website or to a video they want me to link onto. If you want more information about what we're doing, you need to come, come to my place and look up. And I'm sorry, I used to get a little frustrated with that. Like, if you want me to, to support you, you've got to talk to me. I shouldn't have to go, tra- you know. Anyway, that's just that's just the way everybody is these days. Because back at, back at the beginning of that, it was like they had to come, they had to you know. Anyway, doesn't matter now. But the last thing that's always in this packet, the last thing that's always in this packet, is a series of letters from various Baptist pastors as a character reference, um, a character reference and an encouragement from that pastor uh, to 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 me and to to HBF. Why we should take this guy on and support and support this person? So it was like a, a character reference. Um, now this is common even today. Uh, you know, normally what I do is I, I read the letters, I look at the websites, I watch the video, I do, a, I you know, I look at the pictures and see if they're all smiling, all all, all kinds of stuff, you know. And uh, and and you know, then what I do is I assess and determine if I should contact this guy or if I should just file it away. And sometimes I file it away, away, and sometimes I just hold on to it for a while. Uh, but like I said, it's a common thing today that even people who are seeking employment will send out recommendations from colleagues who recommend the employer to hire hire that person. Julie was just asked uh, a friend of hers just recently, uh, who she used to work with, asking, "Could you write me a reference on what is that thing called LinkedIn? LinkedIn." So just put a reference out there for this guy on LinkedIn. And so I think she did it I hope you did um, and so anyway so you know we do we do that all the time but well, this is not something really even new this is something that has been happening even back in the very first century it was customary for an itinerant preacher to produce a letter to churches that hey this is the last church I was at they liked me this is what the pastor had to say and uh, so this is my way of introducing myself not from me but from somebody else that hopefully you know because typically when i get these letters i get these packets and i get all of these recommendation letters these reference letters i don't know who these pastors are so i don't know i mean do they i think maybe that those, those reference pastors ought to have a reference for themselves
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so maybe eventually we'll finally work around. oh i know that guy okay i can take his word for it and, and kind of work my way back to the missionary type of thing doesn't happen always, I like thought, but that's uh, that's kind of what's going on. Uh, that's what I deal with a lot of times. But but um, the Apostle Paul, he didn't deal with. He didn't he didn't go that way. He he wasn't involved and in, He didn't care for um, having a, letters of reference. He he would write a letter of reference. In fact, I'll talk about that in, in, later on in a minute where he did that. And I'll show you a couple of places where he actually wrote a letter of reference. He did seek one one time, and that was actually a bad thing. What he did, he saw. it. Remember in Acts chapter nine when he went to uh, the, the the Sanhedrin uh, and the, the rulers of the Pharisees, and he said, "I need a letter so I can go kill people. I need authority by you so I can." So that was his reference, right? And he went and he went all over the place, and he interrogated people who were Christians. And if he didn't like you for what or whatever, if, if he felt like you were you were. Shaming uh, the law, Uh, he would either arrest you, have you put in prison, and he might even execute you if he needed to. And that was that was the reference that Paul had. So that's one of the reasons I think, as I'm saying this now, that I think that Paul didn't like references, letters of reference, because in in his heart, in his mind, in his life, it had a bad connotation. Okay, so uh, he didn't seek letters of reference. He he didn't ask for them. He didn't try to give them, but he did seek. not for himself, but if you look at Romans real quick, Romans chapter 16, I just want to show you an example of where he wrote a letter and what that letter looks like. He's writing to the to the church in, in Rome, and he says in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, I'm just going to read a couple of the verses, but it really goes all the way down to verse 16, but I'm not going to read that far. It says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is a sincera, or centria that ye receive her in the Lord as become a saint and that you assist her in whatsoever business she had in need of you for she had been a succorer of many and also and myself also. But so we'll just stop right there. You can go all the way down to verse 16 and he's actually he's actually referencing and making making a reference to a lot of people. But that's what how he worded this hey uh, in verse two he says receive her uh, in the Lord as they become becoming saints, that you uh, assist her. That assistance would be like that, that pastor writing me a letter and saying, could you assist this missionary get to the field? Same kind of idea. But Paul didn't do it often, and he didn't do it for himself. He never sought letters. I, I mean, I'd be great if I had a letter from Paul recommending me to somebody. But Paul didn't, you know, who would Paul ask for a letter from? Because there really wasn't too many people out there that, that would write him a letter. And so he didn't care too much for it. But in Second Corinthians chapter chapter 2, he has to address something. Oh, I'm sorry, chapter 3. He has to address something in the first part of the chapter. And he says, we're just going to read the verses 1 through 6. It says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not not in tables of stone, but in the fleshy tables of the heart. And such trust have we through through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, uh, but our sufficiency is of God, who also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not the letter, but the spirit of the spirit, for the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. And so Paul's Paul's responding to a lot of things. Over the last several weeks, we've talked about uh, many of the of the situations that Paul faced dealing with the church at Corinth. Right? He's written four letters. We only have two in preservation. He wrote. Well, remember, we called them the the uh, the lost letter. That was the first one that he wrote. We don't have access to that. We never saw it. We just know from a few verses in chapter in the First Corinthians that he's written this, this first letter. Then 1 Corinthians is the long letter, and that's the actual book, 1 Corinthians, that's long, 16 chapters. And then he wrote the lamented letter, which comes right before he's responding in 2 Corinthians, which is the last letter. And so we have all four letters, but we only have two of them in, in, in hand. But we know, we have, we're pretty confident that he's responding to their response to his lamented letter. And that's what this is all about here in this chapter. But there were some people in Corinth um, that had come in after Paul left. He was on his second missionary journey when he planted the church. He was there for 18 months. He planted that church and he left. Then he went home, back to Antioch uh, on, on for furlough. And then he Started his third missionary journey, went to Ephesus, and while he was in Ephesus, he started hearing things about what was going on in Corinth. And we've talked about this, and I made a, made a point, especially last week, that Paul was dealing with the things that are going on in Ephesus and all of the 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 uh, turmoil that he was that he was stirring up in the city, not the church, but in the city, because he's changing people's hearts and lives. Uh, and then he's dealing with the problems in Corinth via letters and communication. Sometimes he even made a trip there once. And then he sent several other people to to go. But the point is, is that Paul is being accused of not being worthy to be the pastor of of Corinth. And so Paul has to deal with it. And so that's what this verse, I I would entitle this part of the study, The Competence of the Minister. The Competence of the Minister. So Paul is in a tight spot right now because not only does he need to remind the church of what they have seen or what they have been, I'm sorry, Given also defending his he has what they've been given so they've been given something right they what what they give what was what was the church at Corinth given same thing you were given what is that access to God a relationship with God salvation uh, an understanding of of the scriptures all of those kind of things that's what this church does as, as well and so that's what he has to remind them of what they have been given while also defending his competency as their pastor. Because that's what is being called into question. They're basically saying Paul's not worthy. They're challenging the people in the church, These, these what is normally referenced, especially in the book of Acts, are referred to as Judaizers. The Judaizers that come in after Paul. They would chase him around. They would follow him every place he went and enter into the city and the villages and say, you know that guy that just left? He doesn't know what he's talking about. He, he's, he's actually preaching against the, following the law, you know, the Old Testament law. And, uh, and so on. So that's kind of happening here in Corinth as well. So his enemies have assaulted his credibility by denying that he is a competent minister. That happens today in a lot of churches where somebody accuses the pastor, the one that's leading the church, the God has put in that, in that role as a church leader, uh, and they've accused that pastor of being incompetent. I think we use that phrase sometimes. You're just incompetent. Well, what we were saying is that you have no competence, You're not capable of doing what you're supposed to be doing. They denied that he was sufficient as a teacher. They claimed that he misrepresented his credentials, and his teaching uh, was false. What they were saying was Paul was a nobody, and his teaching was a blasphemous act, act, uh, attack on the, on the law of the Old Testament, Moses' law. So his adequacy and his competency are at the issue in Corinth right now, and it, should not be, it shouldn't have been that way. The church should have. I mean, he was there for eighteen months, and when he first planted the church, he was there for a long time. You would think that they would remember a few things. That it's like, well, what have you done for me lately? You know. Uh, you know, we do everything we can, but what have you done for me lately? You know. That's where people get some of themselves out of, out of out of sorts, and so. Um, his adequacy and his competency are the issue. But it shouldn't have been that way. The church should have known better. They knew Paul. I mean, they, they spent 18 months with Paul. He invested their, his life in them. Uh, but they believed the lying apostles that had come in. It's like, wow, that's pretty... I never thought about Paul like that. And so, you know, next thing you know, things are falling off. So in his defense, he starts in this chapter. But it's this defense, actually, if you remember, I said that chapter, chapter 2... Lends itself very well to stepping into chapter 3. So look at verse 16 of chapter 2 for just a moment. Because Paul has to ask a question as we were wrapping up chapter 2 last week. He says, to, to, the one, to the one, we are the Savior of death unto death, and the other the Savior of life unto life. And then he says, And who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? Paul's asking, Who is sufficient? Which means, Who is an able minister? Okay, if I'm not an able minister, then who is? Who is an able minister? If I'm not the guy, Paul, the chosen one of God to write the New Testament or almost all of the New Testament, if I'm not the guy, then who is the guy? Who's sufficient? Paul's asking in that chapter, and then he then he falls right into uh, chapter thirteen or chapter three and kind of digs into that a little bit deeper. Now the word sufficient, when you speak of things, when you speak of a thing, and you're using, is it sufficient? It usually means, is it adequate? Is it adequate? Like like, um, did you have enough dinner? Was the, was the dinner that I prepared for you adequate to, to take care of your, your hunger? Was it adequate? Was the thing adequate? Did it meet the need? But in this case here, what Paul's not he's not talking about something about something meeting the need. When speaking of a person, when you talk about, is, is that person sufficient, it means more than just enough. It means competent. Is the person competent? is a person worthy? So that's, that would be a blank if you had your hand up. Sorry. <laughs> I'm writing in yeah, write it, write it in. Yeah, write it in, uh, in spiritual writing. Yeah. So, so Paul's asking what, what person is competent? Who is competent? Who has the competency to take on the duties? Now think about this. What does it need to be confident to do? Take on the duties and responsibilities of ministry. That's what... See, they're saying, Paul, you're not good enough. Well, saying, okay, well, who is good enough? If I'm not it, who is? Who's the one that can take on the duties and the responsibilities of ministry? Who will take on such a monumental and eternally significant duty as being, listen to this, as being the human instrument through which the gospel is preached? Who is going to stand before a crowd and let God speak through that person because that person is the one who's going to take the heat for what is being communicated? God knows that. But that's okay. Who's, who's, who's competent to do that? I want everybody to be competent to do that. I want everybody to be sufficient to do this, to do this task. Everybody should, in some place and somehow. I'm not talking about preaching like what I'm doing right now, or what Brian does, or even going uh, into, this, into the park and preaching there. I'm not talking about that. Maybe just sharing the gospel with a family member. Let the, God, let the Word of God speak through you, let God speak through you, and be competent to let that happen. Many people do, and I'm not saying you don't. Uh, many people do, but this is what Paul is addressing. This, he's trying to deal with this. Uh, so, who who's competent to allow the human be the human instrument? Who is capable of being the container to burn as a sweet savior? That reference sweet savior back to chapter two, verse fifteen and sixteen and seventeen, where we talk about a sweet savour versus a uh, what I call a sour smell and a sweet smell. So, your life should be a sweet smell to God. Um, and so who's who's capable of doing that who who has the capacity to sincerely speak on behalf of Christ in such a manner that people's lives are literally brought to the understanding of the mind of Christ and the, and the gift of God because that's our role right is really to introduce people to Christ whatever that looks like however that looks we should be introducing people to Christ all the time and getting them a closer step by step a little bit closer to being introduced to Christ who has the ability to be used as an instrument under the careful eyes of the almighty God fulfilling his eternal purpose so this is a high mark I mean all these things I just got done saying this is a high mark and everybody I think probably is squirming like I don't know if I could do that I'm not trying to make you squirm I'm trying to make you think I'm trying to make you pray I'm trying to make you want how because this is what happened with me I remember when I first got saved and after about a year and a half or two years of listening to the preacher like I think I can do that I don't know. I wasn't being arrogant. I never told anybody that. I was just in my heart. I'm like, I wonder if I. Not so much I think I can, but I wonder if I can. I wonder if I can do that. I wonder if I could be like that. If I could ever, if I could ever get to the point of just sharing and preaching the word of God like that. Um, and that's what God did to me. He said, "Well, let's find out." And that's what happened. So, but that, that's what we should all. We should all strive for that. It's a high mark, but it's a mark that we should reach. We can reach. It's the same thinking that we go through seeking somebody. This is how, okay, on this side, for me and Brian and other pastors, we have to look out at among the body of, of, this, of this church and say, who is sufficient to disciple somebody? Who is sufficient to lead a ministry? Who is sufficient? Who, who, has, the, who has the skills to stand in that role and let God speak through that person? whether it's a ministry leader or a discipleship leader or whoever. I know maybe most people who are, being, who are discipling, maybe you don't think yourself as a leader, but you are. Because you're actually speaking for God. You're teaching the Word of God, and that's part of it. So, so we have to determine that. We're looking for somebody who is sufficient to these things. Paul's sufficiency and his competency were being called into question, but he turned the tables on them by calling into question, well, if I'm not sufficient, who is? Uh, that's you know answering a question with a question that's kind of how he did that but he also he pointed in verse now this is an interesting how this passage is it's not this one is not typically you can start with the first verse and expound this verse and then expound the next verse and expound the next verse. This one you kind of have to jump around in this passage this is the complexity of this passage but if you look at verses five and six paul's answering the question for them okay well you won't answer it he says I'll answer it for you. He didn't give him a chance to answer because he's writing the letter here, right? He says in verse 16 of chapter 2, who is sufficient of these things? Then he says in verse 5 and 6, not that we are sufficient of ourselves. He said, no, I'm not sufficient. He said, I'm not, I, I, I am not sufficient, Paul says. I know that. I understand that. You're right. You can, you can say that about me all day long. I'm not sufficient. But not that we are sufficient of our things to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And then he says at the beginning of verse 6, "...who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit." So he's saying, look, the issue isn't who's sufficient. The issue is, who has God made a, an able minister? Who has God made an able minister? It's the same thing he told the, the church at Colossia in, chapter, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. He says, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So in Colossians chapter 125 is exactly, Paul's taking the exact same position with the different church that he's taking now with the church at Corinth in, in, this, in this first part of the chapter 3. Remember, you remember the story in the Old Testament where David is fleeing from Saul because Saul's decided he's going to execute David. And he goes, I can't remember where he ends up but there was a there was a guy uh, of the uh, of the, the of Saul's army or Saul's guard, guards. His name was Doeg. Remember in 1 Samuel chapter twenty one, and, and he saw David talking to the priest. And what did he do? He ran to to Saul. He says, "I saw I saw David. I know where he's at. We can if you come now, looking, we, we can take him and kill him." Dave, Doeg thought he was sufficient. David Doeg was not sufficient. He wasn't speaking for God. He just took it on his own to do things, and people get hurt that way, is what happened with it, because David didn't get caught, but the priests and all of the priests that were there at the temple, they were all killed by Saul and his men. And that was a bad deal. So that's just an example there. But in Psalm chapter 52, verse 7, Psalm 52, verse 7 says, Let the, Lo, this is a man that made not God his strength. That was Actually referring to Doeg. This is a man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. That's the description of Doeg. Don't let that be a description of you either. The only person who is competent is the one that God has made a minister. That's the only person that is competent to do what God wants us to do. The only person who is competent is the one whom God has made a minister because self-made ministers are incompetent because they haven't been made competent by God. They haven't been given sufficiency by God according to verses 5 and 6. So God did not select Paul because there was something in his human life that made him desirable. That's an interesting thing as well. Paul, I mentioned earlier, Paul got himself a letter so he could go around and and uh, persecute the church, persecute Christians, put some of them in jail, kill some of them if he needed to. But this is what he said to Timothy when he was, re- remember this passage in First Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 Paul writes that God considered him faithful, putting him into the ministry. I love that verse because I just, I always, I mean for me, I never consider myself faithful like I should be. Many of you are more, probably more faithful than I am And whatever it is. You're probably more faithful than I am but I remember this person, this verse here, First Timothy chapter one verse twelve, where it just says that God counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry before I deserved it. When I'm when I'm praying, God, would I ever be able to preach like that? God says, I count you faithful. One day you will. And he put me in the ministry. I read that verse, and it hit me like a like a just a heavy weight. When I was up in Alaska, I was on a discipleship trip, and I read that verse on Sunday morning before we went to church. I said, "God put me in the... Why would He put me in the ministry? I mean, and so He allowed me to go and to teach on on discipleship in that in that trip. But that was that's where I first came across that verse. That like, oh, that's what that means. He put me in the ministry. And I don't know what that looked like, and it didn't. What I'm doing today doesn't look like what I was doing back there, however many years ago that was. But the point is, uh. Paul goes on and says in verse thirteen of first Timothy chapter one that God considered him faithful, put him into the ministry, even though that he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. Paul was after the church. He says, I don't he said I didn't in fact turn over there. Let's just turn over and look at that. First Timothy chapter one, verses twelve and thirteen. Verse 12 says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me. And so he enabled. That's what Paul referred to in verse, verse 3, chapter 5, that God made him sufficient. So he says, He hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Remember how he talked about himself like that? He says, I didn't deserve this. I didn't deserve this. But God says, I'm sufficient. And he made me he gave me the ability to be sufficient. And so every one of us we're all like you know, I probably, I I remember asking, could I ever do that? And, And probably I said, no, I can never do that. Probably said to that, you know, and responded myself. It's kind of like Paul. I didn't deserve it, but God says your heart is that you want to. And Paul's heart was once he got saved. He really, this is what I want to do, and so God used him. And I think God can use every one of us in some capacity, in some way, in this church and in His kingdom. So Paul now has the humbly as as much as humbly as possible, as much with as much humility as possible he now needs to justify his sufficiency and his competence as a minister. So in this passage, he describes the characteristics that are observable in making a, a minister competent. Um, and that's why this passage here, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 now, is where he's going. So this, let me just kind of give you a, a recommendation for yourself. Uh, so as we're going to see, what we're going to see is vastly important and I want you to pull two things out of this lesson and really out of the whole study of, of Second Corinthians. I not to pull two things out. How do you set the bar high enough for yourself to strive for competence as you serve? How high will you set the bar for yourself? Some people set a low bar. I just want to, you know, this is all I want to do. I just want to do this. I just want to change diapers. Okay, well, that's fine today, but set a, set a bar higher than that. I want to teach the ones that used to wear the diapers. And I want to go on a mission trip. I want to, I want to go with the, the youth on, to camp or whatever. Set a bar high enough that God can use you in a special way. That he would, he would, that you would be competent, competent to do the work. And then the second thing, everything that we're talking about, because Paul's describing himself in his whole letter, a very personal letter, a very open letter. He's trying to be as transparent as possible, which is why I call this study being transparent. And Paul. He says, "How do you identify who is the right person to follow? What should you look for in the right per- as a right person to follow?" Okay, so so we had the competence of the minister, and then we also have that they must be a competent minister, must be an able minister. So there's a complexity in this whole passage that I already mentioned um, that makes it hard to just expound the scriptures, starting in first verse and going through verse six, and expand them. Uh, which means that we need to seek the heart of what Paul is saying by trying. To just see what he's talking about in the in this, in this in the passage, so we we started in verse one and we ended up in verse six, and what we see is verse six is actually a conclusion to the question. It's the answer to the question. So we had a, we got to see where Paul is taking this. He the question really was asked in verse sixteen of chapter two, the first time it was asked, now he's now he's 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 dealing with some other things here. And so this chapter begins as Paul realizes the church wanted. This is an interesting thing. The church wanted what he had already given them. They just didn't realize it. For some reason, they forgot that, that what they're looking for. It, it's act, think about this. They actually knew what they needed, but they didn't remember where it came from. They were thinking, these guys that are coming after Paul, they say we should get it this way, and we should get it that way, and we should be doing this, and we should be doing that. How come when you get that from Paul? And they don't remember. that Paul gave them everything that they needed, they just, they left Um, where was it Um, Jesus Christ speaking to one of the churches in Revelation chapter 1 chapter 2 or chapter 3 I think it was was it Ephesus where they left their first love they left their first love, that's what happened in Corinth they left their first love if if we allow that to happen to ourselves we're setting ourselves up for problems so Uh, so Paul Paul realizes that the church wanted what he had already provided so in verses 1 to 3 what he reminds him of is that they are living epistles he said you want a letter well look at yourself you're my letter you are my letter he says let's read that again just the first three verses do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you then verse twelve, verse two is very clear. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. So you have, oh, you got saved, right? You got the Spirit of the living God inside you. You, you. Your heart has had been written in, written on by the Spirit. But in the flesh, not 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 in the tables of stone, but in the fleshy tables of the heart. So Paul's talking about some very real things here. He starts by answering the question that he asks again uh, in verse when he starts off in verse 1. Remember, he says, who is sufficient? And he says, who is sufficient for these things? That's actually how it ends up in verse 16, for these things. And what does he mean by these things? Well, that refers back to everything we've looked at so far just in chapters 1 and 2. Remember, we talked about in chapter 1, we talked about the uh, the... the, the Attitudes that a Christian should have, and we gave seven. Uh, actually, we ended up giving eight um, characteristics that a ser- that a that a Christian should exhibit in their own life. How do people know what what a Christian should look like? It should look like these eight things. How should you act as a Christian? You should act this way according to those eight things. That's what we talked about. And then in chapter, at the beginning of most of chapter two, we talked about. Um, Serving and being, being right with God. And so these things revert back to the things he said in chapter 1 and 2. Characteristics and a right response to open doors. That's what our topic was last week as, as well. And so he asked, do we need to start again? That's what he's saying when the very first things is, do we, do we begin again to commend ourselves? He's saying, do I need a letter of reference from some other pastor to remind you of what we did? How I ministered to you? Does somebody need to sit down and write you a letter and say, don't you remember what Paul said and how he taught and what he, the investment he made in your life? He's saying, do I need a letter of reverence from some other pastor? So he's pushing against the church in a very loving way, but he's pushing also to try to, to uh, get them to remember who he is. And he asks another question about the qualification of a minister of a man claiming sufficiency. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, Or need we, as some other epistles... A commendation, or or a letter of commendation from you. So Paul is addressing the challenge of his worthiness by those who want to destroy the church by destroying Paul's qualifications. So in verse five, the word sufficient means to be competent. So if you look at verse five again, you see, and not that we are sufficient of ourselves. So that word sufficient means uh, to be competent or worthy or capable or able. But we don't know specifically. We don't know. This one's an interesting kind of thing. You have to kind of piece all of this stuff together, especially in two letters when he's dealing with really four letters and I don't know how many letters. And people came to see Paul with questions from Corinth. But we don't. We don't um, I lost my place. He's pushing against the church again in a loving way um, and because they're asking about his qualification. And he addresses the qualification of his worthiness by those who want to destroy the church. But the interesting thing about this is there's nothing that we know of that came to Paul that said the church really, they don't think you're competent or qualified anymore, Paul. So he, the only way he could have got that was remember when Titus brought a letter back to them we talk about Titus. He, was, he had to meet Titus in Troas. And he had to wait for him, and he didn't show up in Troas, so he met him. He went and met him. He did meet him in Macedonia. And probably Titus said, here's the letter from them. Let me give you the backstory, And they probably mentioned, they don't think you're qualified, Paul. That's their problem. And so Paul had to address all of that. He addresses the challenge of his worthiness by those who want to destroy the church by destroying his qualifications. So when um, to counter the challenges of the, from both the church and his distractors, he asked, "Who wants to claim competency?" He said, "Okay, if I'm not competent, who wants to step up and take my role?" That's always a good thing, you know. Uh, it's almost <laughs> like a mutiny kind of a deal. It's like, okay, so you want to th- you want a, you want a mutiny? Okay, who's going to be your new leader? And is he going to be able to do everything that I've done? Is he going to be able to do it? Is he going to be able to stand? And let God use him. That's what he's challenging him with. And so, in verse five, Paul makes no claim to have necessary sufficiency. He has no delusion about his own, own that he's the right person in the church. But who would think that of themselves anyway? They shouldn't, right? So Paul has plenty of human resources available. I mean, just a reminder of the background of Paul. He was a great. He had a great education. Uh, he was a. He was a rabbi. Uh, he was also a free Roman citizen. He could go any place in the Roman Empire he wanted to. He said, I'm a Roman citizen, and they, and they couldn't touch him. He, uh, he, uh, he had a gifted speaking ability. He was enormously driven, even in the face of danger. He never let danger stop him. Even when he was warned, if you go back there, you're going to die. He went anyway. Even though he knew that people were there to try to stop him, he, he went anyway. He was multiculturally raised... Yet, he's, yet he gave all of that up to, in order to serve the Lord. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, What things were gained to me, that I counted loss for Christ. Remember when he said that? He said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. That was Paul's desire, was to make sure that Christ was preeminent in every place that he went that's what he desired to do and that's what he did he knew that his sufficiency came from God and he wrote a very convicting statement which we've already talked about 1 Timothy 1 12. but God enabled him and so he does not need a testimony of men instead he needs, a te- he needs to be counted God counted him faithful in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 12 or verse 19 1 Timothy five nineteen, Paul reminded the church he reminded Timothy first he said you um, against an elder received not an accusation but before two or three witnesses don't just take an accusation of people that don't know what they're talking about the point that Paul is making is this uh, the only valid communication for effective and biblical ministry is that of a changed life you want to know if your ministry is, is working you know, if the church is making a difference look at the changed lives that are, that are there And that's Paul is reminding the church at Corinth do you remember where you were at when I showed up? That town, that the, tur- the church or the town in Corinth, was a nothing but was sin and hedonism and uh, humanism and all kinds of activities that are going on. That's what he dealt with all of that in 1 Corinthians, uh, and trying to clean up the church a little bit. Uh, but that was where he planted a work, and so he 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 loved them enough that even in the middle of all of that, they, their lives were changed. If they want to no know evidence of what Paul did to them, just look at yourself. What has God done to me? It's an incredible thing when I think about some of the, some of the things that I used to do, the things that I used to think, and I still have some bad habits, but I'm, but God has still changed me a lot. And my life is, in it, is the evidence of that change. And it should be the evidence of every Christian's change. That's what Paul's trying to get the church to understand. Paul says in verse 2 that the church is he says in 2 Corinthians 3, 2, the church is, your he you are an epistle written in our hearts. He says, don't forget how much you mean to me as you are in my heart because I love you. That's what Paul's saying. I love you. I care for you. I'm, I cared for you before you even got saved. I cared for you. I wouldn't have planted this church in this God-forsaken town if it wasn't because I loved you. And so... He says, not only are you a living, walking testimony of how Christ through me has changed your life, your whole life has changed because of what God has done through me to you. And in verse 3, Paul draws a comparison of the law. He's in the law written on the tables of stone with the letters of commendation and the letters of the fleshy tables of the heart. So let me just mention this real quick because we're running out of time already. Um, The fleshy tables of the heart is the ultimate motivation that we see in verses 4 and 5. But this writing... Where does God write on the fleshy tables of your heart? What does He mean? Is He like take your heart out, that muscle that's beating, moving blood? Does He write on that? No, He doesn't. This is what He does. The writing does not take place in the area that we most associate with the heart, which is sometimes referred to as the seat of emotion. God's not dealing with you on an emotional level when you start writing on your heart. He's not dealing with you on an emotional level. Your emotions may be stirred, but that's, he's not try, God's not trying to stir your emotion. God's trying to get you to be a certain of uh, a certain character in, in uh, caliber Our, um, so where Paul is referring to about writing on the fleshy tables of the heart is where God begins the work of transformation in your life when God writes on your heart he transforms your heart not the feelings of your heart not the fleshy muscle that's beating in your chest the 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 uh uh, the work that takes place transforming you from what you were to what you will become. He goes on and he talks about our sanctification is in Christ by the Spirit of God. And in First Corinthians chapter six, if you flip over there real quick, first Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11. Paul reminds them even back there in that chat in that letter, he says in First Corinthians six eleven, and some were some and such were some of you. But now you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. So our sanctification is, is in Christ by the Spirit of God. And then the heart is not written with ink, he says, it's not written with ink, it's written with it's written by the Spirit of God, which changes you forever. You know, when you got saved, you got changed, right? Everybody understands that part. This is how he changed. He started to transform you into some, into a new creature. I don't mean that. I mean that that salvation part is an instantaneous transition. You go from being lost to saved automatically. But that sanctification does take some time. Sometimes we have to we have to learn how to walk as a Christian, learn how to look like a Christian, and so on. So he clearly puts any letter of commendation from another person below the letter of God which is written on the tables of stone. That would be the letters from other men. And at the same time, the tables of stone, which reminds us of the Ten Commandments, that's a reminder, going back to the Ten Commandments, because it was tables of stone, the Ten Commandments were written on the tables of stone. <clears throat> and that reminds us that the effort to keep the law was bound up in, in man's own self-confidence. Because man used to think, well, I can keep the law. In fact, Jesus Christ had a conversation with the lawyer, and the lawyer says, I, I keep all the commands." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Jesus says, oh, well, really? You do, huh? Well, tell me about this one. Yeah. And then the guy says, well, things Walks away. And so, you know, we, our self-confidence is not going to help us keep the law. We need the Spirit of God in us. Paul, uh, Ezekiel writes in chapter 36 and verse 26, Ezekiel thirty six twenty six: A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put in within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. That's that transition that starts here when you got saved. And this new heart produces us in a desire to please God. Paul writes in, or not Paul, but David writes in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy, thy law is within my heart. Not the, flesh, not the stony heart, but the fleshy heart. So I wonder what the text in your heart says about you. It should at least start with an I am His Son. That's where you start. I am His Son. Followed by, I love Him. And so this is what you ought to see in your own heart. If you were to open up your your life and look at it for, not, not your heart, not your chest, but open up your life and look and say, does my life say, I am His Son? Does my life say, I follow Him with, that I, because I love Him? And that should follow I desire to please him. And in your heart, it shall also say, send me. Those four things ought to be written in your heart all the time. That would be the first things that somebody sees about you and your relationship with God. I love him. I'm his son. I follow him because I want to desire to please him. And I've asked him to send me someplace to do some do some work. That Someplace maybe across the hallway. It might be down the street. Maybe in, on another country. I don't know. But... God will move that as He wants to. As He finds you sufficient, He will move in your heart to move you where you need to be. But that's what Paul is trying to deal with this church. And um, so it's interesting to also note, I just want to make this one last uh, notice here, that the involvement of the Godhead in all of this, in these first six verses, especially in verse 3 and 6. In verse 3, he declared manifestly to be the epistle of Christ, which means that your life is a commendation of Christ. So we should display Christ. That's part of our. We should display Christ. Secondly, in verse three, that the Spirit has done the writing. Which we, when we were saved and sealed, the Spirit wrote that. Right for Ephesians one verse thirteen, uh, when uh, the moment you you, you believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. And so, so there's that sealing. So we have the Spirit leading us to communicate the new covenant. And when, it's, when he says back there in verse um, verse 6 who also have made us able ministers of the New Testament so you're a minister of the entirety of the New Testament that's that new covenant that is that that re- new relationship that you have with God you're communicating that you're sharing that you're, you're, <coughs> you're working that out and then in verse 6 also he says we have made us able ministers but we need to let what is in our heart be released to those who see us. Okay, so that's it. I'm going to wrap up here with this. Let me just ask you a couple of questions. This is Paul's questions, actually, to the church, so I'm going to ask it to you. You don't have to answer them right now, but maybe pray about it. How do you see yourself in service uh, to God right now? Are you at least willing to serve? If you are, praise the Lord. If you can't, that's okay. There's some circumstances don't allow some people to pray or to serve. But if the heart is willing... God will take care of the need and get you to the where you need to be so you can serve. Are you at least willing to serve? This is another question. Are you an epistle of Christ? If people read you and read and, and immediately recognize that you were written about Christ. Are you, are you an epistle of Christ? The word epistle means letter. Are you a letter of Christ that people can read? What's written on your heart and what other than God has who other than God has written on your heart? And sometimes people write on our hearts over and try to get over over on top of God, what God has written and sometimes we allow that is your life transparent enough that others can see the reality of a change in your life that reflects what Christ has done and written on your heart that's what Paul's trying to get to communicate just in these first six verses he's trying to get you to think about these things are you are you at least willing do you see yourself serving God are you an epistle of Christ what's written on your heart how do people read that? Because if they can't read, that you're a Christian. I think I've told you this story before, where I, after I got saved, I started telling people that, where I worked at the time that I had gotten saved. One guy said, "Oh, I, that's great. I'm a pastor." Yeah. And I'm like, "What? You're a pastor, and you never told me about getting saved?" So he, see, he didn't, he didn't get this at all. And uh, so that kind of that's a, that's a good example that I can give you. So let's pray, we'll be out of here. Father and heaven, Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the, the, uh, uh, the testimony of Paul and the writing of Paul. and the you know, what a, It just makes us think about who we are, what we represent, what you're trying to do in our life, and how we can serve you the best way we can. I do pray, Father, that we always be transparent as much as we possibly can, uh, that other people might read you in our life. And we just thank you and praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. but well, did you bring coffee? Did you bring coffee again today? I'm sorry, I totally skipped out on that. You guys, grab a cup of coffee before you leave.
1: You had yours? Did you have
0: mine too? Well, I'll grab a cup because I could use one right now. My
1: best friend,
0: Beth You makes better this
1: she is not even her business but like she she has so many